Thanks for joining us for another amazing message from C3 Church Calgary. Our hope is that our podcast will equip and connect you to Jesus. Now prepare your hearts to receiving something new from God today. All right, as Pastor Kelly said, my name is Brad Ulrich and my beautiful wife, Shelby, and our little baby boy, James, get the privilege of serving as part of the East Village leadership team under the incredible leadership of Pastor Stephen and Brittany Flight. And so it's been an incredible six months so far with us being down there. And just a little shameless plug, I gotta say, if there's a night you wanna be at East Village, it's tonight because Shelby's speaking tonight. And she's going to kill it. It's going to be amazing. So if you do want to come check it out, come check that out. Uh, we've loved being a part of that team. And as, as God's begun to do things downtown in our city, we've seen a community build down there, people from the East Village community coming to check it out. Uh, we had our East Village Feaster, East, Feast in the East. We changed the name a couple times, so it's like I got all these names going through. But it was an incredible night. We had over 100 people come out. Some of you here came out as well. We saw three people get saved. It was an incredible night to worship Jesus, to remember on that significant weekend what happened with Jesus' death and resurrection, then to share a meal together and build community. And as community is getting built, we're seeing relationships form, we're seeing lives transformed, and we're seeing leadership in people being stirred up as people step into God's calling for their life. So it's incredible what God's doing in our city. And the incredible thing to me is that God is a God that loves being in relationship with humanity. And we see from the very beginning of the story of God that ever since sin entered the world and Adam and Eve sinned, that God has had a plan and a purpose in place to restore relationship with humanity. And this morning as, as we speak about who Jesus is, we're reminded that God sent his son Jesus so that bridge could be extended for us as part of that plan of God to restore relationship with humanity. So we get to join in and to be a part of that. And it's so incredible to me that that God would send his own son so that we could have a relationship with him so that our relationship with God could be taken to another level. And as we talk about Jesus is today, what I'm gonna be speaking about is Jesus as a countercultural figure. And what do I mean by that is Jesus is a countercultural figure because he's willing to go to the places and associate with people that others aren't. Because Jesus' message of salvation is for all people. Additionally, I'm saying Jesus is a countercultural figure because of the language that he uses. Jesus uses clear, simple language that we can understand, but he's not just speaking from a natural meaning of the word, but he actually has a spiritual connotation to the words that he speaks to people. And today we're going to be reading through John chapter 4, so if you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to open those up and turn there with me. But in John chapter 4, we get to see Jesus as this countercultural figure, willing to go into a place where others aren't willing to go, to speak to people that others aren't willing to speak to, and to do it with a language that speaks of an eternal significance, because he's speaking of a spiritual kingdom and its precedence over the earthly kingdom. And so if you just want to turn with me to John 4, we're going to get right into it this morning. And so we're just going to read the first six verses to start. And it says in John 4, verses 1 to 6, I'm reading from the NRSV. The NIV is on the board, so there might, on the screen, so there might be a few words, but the, the same meaning is there. 
So now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. So just before we continue on, I want to give us a little bit of context of what's happening in this story. So I'll just ask for the map to get put up on the screen. And so we see the authors talking about Jesus is currently in Judea, which is the southernmost province at this time. And he's got to go to Galilee. And Galilee's actually the area where most of Jesus' ministry takes place. So if you're reading through the gospel accounts and you're seeing these stories of Jesus, the predominant amount of these stories that take place, take place in Galilee. But in John, we get a glimpse of Jesus leaving Jerusalem and he has to go on a journey. And the author makes a point of saying, but he has to go through Samaria. So why would this matter? Why would the author point this out? It has to do with the people that are living in the region of Samaria. These people are the Samaritan people and it has to do with understanding how the Jewish people actually viewed the Samaritan people. Now the Jews viewed the Samaritan people as a mixed race people group people that were inferior to the Jewish people. The reason they saw them as this is because the northern kingdom of Israel, 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel actually went into captivity before the southern kingdom. It was the Assyrian people that came and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. And one one thing that the Assyrian people would do to show their will upon the people that they conquered is they would actually remove them from the place that they live. They would transplant them to another place because they wanted to strip away their cultural identity and their religious practices. In this time period, we need to understand that people worship gods in the sense of where you lived was significant to the God that you worshiped. People viewed their God in relation to the place that they lived. And so in order to strip that away from them, if you took them away from that sense of place, away from their place of worship, you could strip that identity away from them and then they would be people that would be more easy to control. So what happened in this is the people of Israel are taken out of the, air, the, the region of Samaria and people from other pagan nations that didn't worship God were transplanted into this area. Now these people that came in still thought, okay, what's the God? of this region that I'm going to worship. But they didn't worship in the same way that the Jewish people worship. So when the, Jew, the Jewish people of the southern kingdom of Judah later went into captivity by the Babylonians and returned, they returned to a region that people had somewhat of a sense of who God was. But they knew they went into captivity because they weren't devoutly following God in the way they were called to do it. So we actually get a little background in Ezra and Nehemiah where we see this conflict between the people that are living in Samaria that are this mixed people group that have a sense of who God is, but their pagan background and influence has also shaped who they are in worshiping that. And so ever since the Jews came back and started to settle and rebuild the temple that's in Jerusalem, there's been this conflict and this tension. They saw the Samaritan people as adversaries to themselves. This is the context that we're entering into when we read this story in John chapter four, between the Samaritan people and the Jewish people. The Jews, again, viewed the Samaritans as adversaries and as inferior people because of their mixed race. They weren't fully Jewish. They had these other influences. And so we're going to continue reading in verse 7. And it says, A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. 
His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. So the author is giving us an explanation here that it's just Jesus and the Samaritan woman that's now at the well. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. So we see that even the author's trying to make this point that there's a conflict, there's a tension between these people. But Jesus responds, he answers her and says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again but those who drink of the water I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming to draw water. And so what we see here, there's lots within this that we can unpack, but the first thing that I want to focus on is this contrast that Jesus creates between natural water and living water. Now natural water is something that Jesus is pointing out is something that doesn't satisfy. But he's saying he actually has something to offer that's lasting. Now, I'm someone that that loves water. I don't know about you, but in our family, we drink a lot of water. We don't usually have pop in our fridge. We don't have much juice in our fridge, which is kind of sad because I do actually love juice. But I love water so much that when I went to university, I was thinking, what can I do to get through university and not get addicted to coffee? Because most people I talk to says usually when they went to university is when they started drinking coffee and it helped them get through university. So I was thinking, how can I get through university without drinking coffee? So I was like, well, maybe I'll try water and did a little bit of research into water. And it turns out water is an incredible thing. It actually helps with your ability to remember things. It brings oxygen and blood flow to the brain to help you stay focused. And it actually reduces stress levels. So here I am thinking, okay, water is going to be perfect. So I, I enter my, my college classroom and I'm coming in and my, my friends come in and they're like, oh, thankfully I could get to Starbucks in the morning, get this coffee. I wouldn't be able to survive without it. I'm kind of like, thankfully I got my water. So I'm going through class and I'm drinking my water and things are good and the, the class keeps going and I drink my water and before you know it, I gotta go to the bathroom really bad. Now I don't share this story to let you know that water makes us need to go to the bathroom. But I share this story to let us know that the water was sat- satisfying temporarily. That When I drank the water, I didn't need to stop drinking it. I actually had to keep drinking it in order to allow the oxygen to flow to my brain, to allow it to keep me alert. There's times where we need water and it is a satisfying thing, but it only lasts temporarily. In fact, our bodies as an adult human body is made of two thirds of water. 80% of our brain is composed of water. Over 80% of our blood is made up of water. 75% of our muscles, including our heart, is composed of water. My point being that the natural aspect of water is beneficial to our very survival as people. But Jesus is making a point here that even natural water is not something that is sustaining, that will last forever. And the contrast he is making is I actually have something to offer to you that's living water that will last forever. The point I want to make here is Jesus comes and he offers her two things. Now this Samaritan woman, we see from the start by her response, who are you, a Jew? She sees the context of who's being speaking, who who is in this conversation, speaking to me, a Samaritan woman, 
a little bit more context here. Jewish men actually had a practice of not speaking to women without their husband being present. And now we see Jesus is doing two things that are countercultural. One, speaking to a woman who did not have her husband present, and two, speaking to a Samaritan who Jews did not associate with. And in this place, Jesus is sharing something about living water, something he has to offer. She first says, who are you to ask of me a drink? But then she says, sir, okay, now you're offering something to me, but you don't have a bucket. Because she's still taking Jesus' words in a natural, literal translation. And so Jesus is speaking of living water, and to understand what the woman would have been thinking, living water for this time period refers to water that flows. And the well that they are at when he is speaking about this is actually a well that has a spring at the bottom of it. So there's water that is flowing. Now we don't know if the Samaritan woman actually understood this, but we do know by her response that she's interpreting what Jesus is saying from a literal context. And what we see when Jesus actually shows what he's saying, he says, I have a gift to offer you. That gift he is speaking of is salvation. And he says, I have living water to offer you. The living water he's actually speaking of is the Holy Spirit. So again, we see this countercultural aspect of who Jesus is, speaking a language that she could understand, but with a spiritual meaning. And the reason that we know that Jesus is actually speaking about the Holy Spirit when he st- speaks about living waters, because we can see a few chapters later in John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, where John actually explains this for us. And it says, Jesus proclaimed, as the scripture has said, out of the believer's hearts shall flow rivers of living water. And then the author of John confirms this when he says, now he said this about the spirit, which believers in him were to receive. For as yet there was no spirit because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so the reason John is speaking about it in this way is because the book of John was written after Jesus' life. But John's taking something that's a message of Jesus with spiritual connotation saying, this living water he's speaking of is the Holy Spirit. And when we read in Acts chapter one, we see Jesus when he's leaving his disciples actually says, I have something to leave with you. I I need to go because there's something greater that is coming and until I go it can't be sent and that's the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter two, we see at the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit was poured out on people that believed in Jesus. And we have that access to the Holy Spirit today. But to get back to our story, the woman didn't quite realize what Jesus was, was speaking about yet. Because again, Jesus was a countercultural figure. He was willing to go into a conversation that Jews didn't go into. And he was willing to speak in a language that was different than how people would have spoke to her. We're going to continue reading. She's asking for this water because she wants to not have to come back to the well. But Jesus wants to get to the deeper root issue of what she's searching for. He says, Jesus Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. Now, I don't believe Jesus is is calling out her her history and her past with relationships to condemn her. Jesus actually sees that in her life, she's been thirsting or seeking for things in her life to try to fill that void that she has in her life. He's able to get to a deeper root issue of what she's dealing with. 
We see in the context of the conversation that it changes for her in opposition of who are you to ask of me a drink to the response of the language she even uses changes when she says, sir, what is this gift you have to offer me? And then now she says, sir, I see that you must be a prophet because he spoke to a deeper part of the issues she was struggling with in her life. And she saw that this Jew wasn't coming to condemn her for the way that she worshiped, wasn't coming to condemn her because she was a Samaritan or a woman, but was willing to get into her world to speak into her life. And by her recognizing that he was a prophet, it actually unlocked something significant in this story for us. And that's an understanding the Samaritan people's understanding of who God was. The Samaritan people only believed in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, And in these first five books of the Bible, they believed that the last prophet was Moses and that the next prophet that was to come after Moses would be the promised Messiah that was coming. So by the fact of her saying, I can see that you are a prophet, she's hinting at the idea that you might be the very Messiah that we've been waiting for. And so her response doesn't go to, who are you to speak of my relationships and my history and the things I've gone through? She actually recognizes that he must be a prophet and shifts to a question that all Samaritans would have had, which is what is the proper place of worship? How can I come before God to be in that relationship that I'm seeking to be able to worship God? And so she asks him a question about where the proper place of worship is because the Jews believed the proper place of worship was in Jerusalem and that's why they came back and rebuilt the temple there. But the Samaritan people believed the place of worship was to be at Gerizim, and that's where, that's the mountain where they're at, where this well is. And so she asked this another, another question that would have been tension between the Jews and the Samaritans about where that proper place of worship is. And Jesus answers in such an incredible way that's countercultural. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Jesus doesn't choose to condemn her and use the scriptures to say, here is why the proper place is Jerusalem, because of what God has done with his people and why it's supposed to be here. He does something countercultural because he knows where this woman's at and he sees her thirst for being in right relationship with God. And so he addresses her by saying, the physical place is not what matters in worshiping God, but rather it's about the way in which you worship. And we see this when we continue reading in verse 23. So Jesus continues saying, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. So first of all, we see here Jesus speaking of what true worship is. He says true worship is in spirit and truth. When he speaks of being in spirit, he's he's speaking of an internal worship, not something that's external for everyone to see, but the internal positioning of your spirit and your heart. When he's speaking about the word truth, we could also translate that word as genuine. What is actually genuine worship of God? He's actually, by saying worshiping in spirit and truth, he's attacking the superficial, self-centered, hypocritical worship that many of both the Jews and the Samaritans would have seen by some of their leaders, who publicly were showing the way that they worship God, the way that they publicly prayed, 
the way that they publicly prayed to say, hey, look at me. Look at the great and grand way that I'm doing it that you can never live up to, but you should try to be more like me. Jesus is trying to cut through that, and he's doing it in a countercultural way by the person he's speaking to and the way that he is speaking to her. And he's trying to show her that from the very beginning, It was never about Israel being separated and isolated to themselves, but as Israel to be a a nation that would stand apart from the surrounding nations to be an example and a model to those that God wanted to share who he was with others. It was always supposed to be an inclusive religion to invite people in. But it was part of God's plan at the right time to send Jesus to make that relationship even easier for us to have access to. And this woman, after Jesus answers this question, we see that she's already recognized him as a prophet, responds to him by saying, I understand what you're saying. When the Messiah comes, he's gonna make these questions clear to us. And in that moment, Jesus reveals to her, I am that Messiah that you've been waiting for. I am that solution to fill the void that you've been seeking for. There's all kinds of things in our life that we we thirst for, that we seek for to fill the voids in our life. For me, I'm someone who loves sports. But the thing with sports is, I've been following the basketball playoffs and I love the Toronto Raptors and the emotional high of them winning the first two games for the first time in history made me so excited. But when you get to game three and they lose and your emotional high goes to an emotional low, you realize that the joy or the excitement of the emotions that you feel is something that's temporary, that's not lasting. That there's only one thing that can fill that void, that fulfillment that we're looking for in our life, and that's Jesus. And in this moment where the woman was looking to relationships to fill that void within her life, Jesus spoke into her world to a place where he could relate to her and connect with her because he knew she was seeking and thirsting for something that she couldn't find in those areas. And so he speaks in a language that's countercultural to say, I have living water to offer you. And she could relate to it. This is water that flows. This is the best water that I could have access to. But Jesus speaks of it in a spiritual connotation to show to her, I actually have something so much greater that's gonna answer the deeper questions of what you're seeking for. That true relationship, that true worship that you've been seeking for God, I am the one to bring solution to that. When she's saying, I understand the Messiah is gonna give these answers, Jesus reveals, I am that Messiah that you're seeking for. I am the solution of what you've been looking for to be in proper worship. Now the thing that's so incredible about this story and why it came on my heart to preach this message is because of the, the Samaritan woman's response. And I'll just ask the keys to come back up on stage. What's so incredible about the Samaritan woman's response is she decided not just to let an encounter with Jesus be the end of it. She wasn't gonna let her encounter and her experience with Jesus be all that happened and keep it to herself. She believed that Jesus deserved to be shared with others. And her response is so incredible because it speaks to her testimony being the very thing that saw people be saved. And so as we read in verse 28, it says, then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. So she left the very thing that she came to the water so that she came to the well in the first place to do, to get water. Because she had encountered something so much greater than her original purpose to go to the well that morning. She went back to the city and she said to the people, 
come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. When we fast forward to verse 39, it says, many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony, which was, he told me everything I have ever done. This is the incredible part of it to me. It wasn't because of their encounter with Jesus of going to meet him that those people got saved. It was because of the testimony of this woman who shared Jesus with the people of her city that they believed in Jesus and were saved. That was the first part of it. There's people in our world that, that need to know about Jesus, that need us to take a faith step to go into their world to show Jesus' love with them, to show that he is a countercultural figure that doesn't care about the things that you've done in your past or your experiences, or whoever before has come into your life, whether it's a Christian or anybody of a religious affiliation that says you don't deserve to be in that. The way you're living your life, Christians would never accept you. Don't you know Christians are judgmental people? But when we can remember the example that Jesus made, whatever experience those people in our life had with that past experience, we can give them a new and real authentic experience with Jesus. This message has motivated me of what am I doing in my life with the people who need to know about Jesus to be able to share it with them. This woman had the boldness to go do that. As we continue reading in verse 40, it says, So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is truly the savior of the world. Even if Jesus wouldn't have say, stayed, I believe the woman's testimony would have seen many saved. Many Samaritans who saw this was a Jew who was willing to do something countercultural to actually speak to them, to actually consider them enough to say that there's a message of salvation for them where they can be in proper relationship with God. But because of this woman's response, not only did she just get saved, but an entire town or city got saved in this area of Samaria. I wanna remind us that Jesus' message of salvation is for all people. It's not exclusive of these people we can't share with, these people we can't share with, only these people we can share with. Jesus' message of salvation is for all people for us to share with. It's then people's choice to see how they respond to Jesus. Because I truly believe when people have an encounter with Jesus that's real and authentic, there's no greater thing than that experience. And we can let Jesus take care of that in the relationship. But we first need to offer that invitation to share Jesus with them so that they can have that encounter. They can have that two-day experience where Jesus comes into their city and reassures more people that he is the true Messiah and that the woman's testimony was legitimized because Jesus showed that he was the savior of the world. If we just all wanna bow our heads. This morning, if you're someone that's never asked Jesus into your heart, I wanna give you an opportunity to experience Jesus and encounter him in this way that the Samaritan woman did. I believe this is the best experience you'll ever have in your life. We all are seeking and thirsting for something in our life to fulfill us. But it's only Jesus that can fill that inmost part of our being. And if you feel God's been stirring something in, in your heart, in your spirit today, you're going to be feeling an emotion. You're going to be feeling a prompting within you of, to respond in some way. 
And I just wanna ask if that's you, if you're feeling Jesus is doing something and I wanna respond in this moment, I just ask you to slip up your hand. If you would like to ask Jesus into your heart to have that real authentic encounter with Jesus. If that's you that God's speaking to, I just ask that you slip up your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. It's gonna give us a few more seconds here. If God's stirring something in you, I'm telling you, you'll never regret this decision. That living water that Jesus spoke about, that Holy Spirit is a connection point we have that when we're going through our toughest times, our most challenging times, a time when we need encouragement, that God is there for us. He helps carry us through those moments. If there's anyone else who would like to ask Jesus into their heart this morning, I just ask that you take this time to raise your hand. Okay, thank you. If you did raise your hand, I'll just ask you at the end of the service, I'd love for you to come down so that I could pray with you and give you a Bible. But the second people I want to pray for tonight is people that I feel that this word really challenged me for, and that's if you have had that encounter with Jesus, but you feel from this message, Jesus is calling you to a greater place of sharing Jesus in your world. Maybe that's your workplace, maybe that's your school, maybe that's with your family, that something stirred up within you that Jesus deserves to be shared with others. I just want you to stand in your, where you are, because I believe that there's gonna be a time, an impartation this morning, where God is gonna use people in this service to see people's lives be transformed for Jesus. All Jesus is asking us to do is to take that faith step, to step out of our comfort zone, to be willing to be used by Him, and Jesus takes care of the rest. If you're someone that feels there's people in my life that need to know about Jesus, I'd ask you to stand, because they deserve to hear who Jesus is. And I just wanna pray over those of you who wanna stand to empower you and encourage you that you have the tools, that you have what it takes to speak about Jesus to those people in your world. That just like the Samaritan woman who looked at herself as pretty much nobody who would have the opportunity to do this, but Jesus recognized something in her, called out something, and because of that encounter she had with Jesus, a whole entire city got changed. So I just ask if you put your hands out in front of you, The reason we do this is just a posturing of ourselves to come into alignment with what God wants to do. So Heavenly Father, for those that are standing this morning, I thank you, Lord, that you have put a word in their spirit. Lord, that you have equipped them with every tool that they need. And I pray for boldness. I pray for courage. In this time, Lord, that the people in their life that you have highlighted today, the people this week, Lord, that you will bring into their life, I pray, Lord God, for that boldness and courage to rise up, that they will share Jesus with those people, that they will open up the invitation, the opportunity to meet you, Jesus, because, Lord, you are the most incredible gift that we could ever receive. You are the most incredible sustenance of living water that we could experience. And just like the woman experience that others in our world need to experience. And the people that are standing, Lord God, and even those who are sitting, they have the tools that they need, Lord, to impact people in their lives, to see their lives transformed in Jesus' name. Amen.